Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. This show has been pre-recorded on Thursday, January 21st, 2021, to be replayed on Monday, January 25th, 2021, at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Live in Austin, Texas, on KOOP 91.7 FM and streaming live at coop.org. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 40th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, are you ready to go to war? Pedro Gatos and bringing light into darkness Monday news and analysis since we began broadcasting on Co-op Radio in 2002 has been investigating and seeking to present genuine, truth-seeking perspective to U.S. foreign policy impacts around the world, as well as other preventable human-generated behavior that creates or increases human misery in the world. Over the past 18 years, our record speaks to the veracity of our reporting. The impact of U.S. foreign policy in the world, on the world, population, is unrivaled in reach and in impact. Our presumption is that the U.S. population is a compassionate and social justice-driven people, that if we know the truth of the matter, we support policies that promote the most fair and democratic outcomes. The problem is, too often, we are misinformed by our government and our mainstream media. President Joe Biden gave his inaugural speech just last week, and during that speech, he mentioned that this is a time of testing. We face an attack on democracy and on truth a raging virus, growing inequity, the sting of systemic racism, a climate in crisis. He goes on to say, a cry for racial justice some 400 years in the making moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. He repeatedly decrees the importance of unity as the medicine to lead us to solve all of our problems, to overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and to restore the future of America requires more than words, though. It requires democracy, he says, and unity, unity, unity to fight the common foe we face. The anger, resentment, hatred, extremism, lawlessness, violence, disease, joblessness, hopelessness. Yet it was striking to me as we review the Biden-Obama administration that there was such a marked increase in wealth inequality in this country. In fact, $3.5 trillion, according to the Federal Reserve Report, the most recent one that I was able to access, was shown to be transferred to the top 1% under President Obama's eight years. That would be from the first quarter of 2008 to the fourth quarter of 2016. The 1%, the top 1% percentage of all wealth in our country went up from 27.2% to 
0.1%. Since 1980, there has not been that substantial of a transfer of wealth from the bottom 99% to the top 1% under any administration. And that exceeded any other president, that under Trump, which was only four years, the top 1% stayed the same at about 31%. Under Clinton, it did go up, but not nearly, uh, uh, but by only about maybe half that uh, percentage. Under Bush, it stayed relatively flat and went up some. So I say that just to indicate that our most progressive government, at the end of the day, is serving the interests prejudicially towards the top 1% more so than any other administration in the last uh, 30 to 40 years. So moreover, we have cited a UN report that was completed and presented to the UN Human Rights Council at the General Assembly back in 2018. And actually, the report was created in May of 2018 after the Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty uh, came to the United States the year before, in December, I believe, and went through our whole country, or many places in our country, to get the data to create the report. And his report was relative to all advanced nations of the world, the top 30, 35 nations or so, which are considered the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD nations. And this is just a year following the Obama administration. We had the highest infant mortality rates among all comparable OECD states, the rapporteur reported. Um, our citizens here in the United States live shorter and sicker lives compared to those living in all other rich democracies. Eradical tropical diseases are increasingly prevalent in the United States. We have the world's highest incarceration rate. We have one of the lowest levels of voter registration and voter turnout among OECD nations and one of the highest wealth inequality rates. I believe it is the highest wealth inequality rate of all of these nations. We have the highest obesity levels in the developed world, and the United States has the highest rate of income inequality among Western countries. And as a matter of fact, those that are disproportionately in the lower income categories are people of color. And it is important to remember that when Dr. King was assassinated, it was a result of being in, Pem in Memphis to support the poor people's projects or those related to it, namely the garbage workers, the sanitation workers, working conditions. He increasingly was turning his attention to these economic injustices that are still prevalent and so pronounced today in our country. And so when we look at our celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King, we celebrate his ideas and his legacy. Well, we, we believe that the tools to see through the oppression and locate its source so that it can be addressed is what Dr. King's greatest contribution was. Dr. King not only fought racism, but began to recognize very clearly the, the link to economic exploitation that went on in this country, mainly from the wealth inequality. And in his Beyond Vietnam speech, the speech that we'll be looking at with my guest in just a little bit, A Time to Break Silence, 
This was delivered on April 4th, 1967 at a meeting of clergy and laity concerned at Riverside Church in New York City. And one of the issues that I just wanted to address and to bring to the forefront, after listening to Mr. Biden's speech, and his is no different than any other new president of the United States, but they're always prophesizing patriotism and, and God and country and, and those types of things. Dr. King had these words. We need to move beyond the prophesying of smooth patriotism to the high grounds of a firm dissent based on the mandates of conscience and the reading of history. And those words are very powerful in that our history is largely kept from us as we grow up in this country. And we get a lack of history or a revisionist type of history that's almost like equipping us without the tools we need to see the path we need to turn towards. World War II was consummated in the U.S. interventions and covert and overt operations throughout the world is off limits to the press and to the American public's mind. Therefore, we don't know the character of our nation with respect to its influences in the world we live in. And in fact, in this speech, Beyond Vietnam, Dr. Martin Luther King provides an illustrative insight into that history in one country, Vietnam. It's really worth reading for that and many other reasons that we'll be discussing tonight. And so with that being said, I wanted to move to our program tonight, and we're delighted to have with us a spiritual leader of Central Texas, Reverend Jim Rigby, to join us here shortly. Enjoy. Okay. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. Today is Thursday, January 21st, 2021, and we will be live broadcasting this show during our Monday slot from 6 to 7 p.m. on January 25th, 2021. And we are very pleased to have Reverend Jim Rigby with us tonight to speak to issues connecting some of President Joe Biden's inauguration remarks with the legacy of Martin Luther King and some of that legacy that we can apply to the problems facing us today. So first off, welcome, Jim. Thank you for returning back to bringing light into darkness. Sure. I'm glad you're holding in through COVID. Trying to. Yeah, we're, we're doing our best. Listen, for our audience, uh, Jim Rigby is a Presbyterian minister here in Austin, Texas. In 2007, Reverend Rigby was named Texas Public Citizen of the Year by the National Association of Social Workers for his work on gender, economic, and racial issues. Reverend Rigby has written for the Huffington Post and Common Dreams and other sites, but now focuses most of his writings to his blog. Reverend, how can people access your blog? Well, I'm thinking... Find me on Facebook. That's one. I do a Facebook post every day. I kind of let the blog languish a little bit, but it's, I'm trying to get it going again. It's jimrigbyoneword.org. Okay. Well, listen, I have known Reverend Rigby for a couple of decades or so, and I'm very fond of his dedication to uh, social justice issues, as his bio clearly indicates. Also, I've always been remarkably interested in the connection of how religious principles, the principles that really underlie some of the most 
powerful issues connected to principles that should drive behavior in in our country. Some of that is usurped for other reasons, but I've always been so impressed by how you use those principles in a way to pursue what you believe is the most worthy pursuit, namely addressing the needs of uh, of the underserved. Anyhow, with that being said, I just wanted to start off, there, there seems, Reverend, to be a simplification that goes on with politics, as always. And the framing to the American public is that Donald Trump is the only thing that's wrong with American politics and government, and that our economic woes from this horrific and continuing COVID-19 pandemic is the sole source of our problems. And well before the the pandemic, you know, we were covering the economic conditions of the world as well as the United States and under all administrations. And it was striking how the middle class, their wealth had been pretty much chipped away consistently and that wealth inequality was increasing remarkably under President Obama. And I, and I mentioned President Obama because he is, I believe, clearly our most progressive administration. And if our most progressive administration, the behavior of it over those eight years, which Joe Biden was a, was a part of, if there's not noticeable, positive, uh, and measurable changes, and in fact, it's going in the opposite direction, it seems like it's really an indictment of the system itself, which is what Dr. Martin Luther King was speaking to during the last year or two of his life as his ideas started to kind of crystallize and he, and he connected not just racism, but what extreme materialism and, and militarism. He listed those three triplets of issues. And so before getting to my first question for you was to just to document that in 2016, this is from this Oxfam report, the richest 1% of the world have more wealth than the whole world combined. And there's this global network of tax havens that enabled some $7.6 trillion to be hidden in a global network of tax havens. According to this Oxfam report, and I'm talking about 2016 Oxfam report entitled An Economy for the 1%. And so since the turn of the century, the report goes on, which would be 2000, the poorest half of the world's population has received just 1% of the total increase in global wealth, while 50% has gone to the top 1%, okay? And so lastly, I don't want to get into this article too much, but there's a current article that stated just this this week on January 20th, 2021, and it's by David Brunk Acasio and, and, and Rose Conlin, and it's from a McKinsey Report website. But it documents how two-thirds of people in advanced economies are poorer than their parents, okay? And this is a trend that has been continuing for the last decade or two. It used to be up into the 1970s, every generation was doing better than the generation before. So anyhow, with that kind of background, can you maybe share what Dr. King would make of all that? Well, my understanding is that as he studied things, he became more and more convinced that economic factors particularly capitalism, undergirded a lot of the oppressions that were there and, in fact, kind of set us up for that. And I I don't think he oversimplified it, but to to, to realize that you really can't separate a lot of the worst parts of American history from that perception of the world through an economic lens. 
mm-hmm. that when people looked at slavery, for example, what kept them from seeing the humanity of people was that they were seeing them through the financial cost of setting them free and seeing their humanity. So it was like they couldn't get to their hearts because their minds were captive to this false sense of values that wasn't based on human rights, it was based on property rights. So the fact that their parents had owned somebody, for some reason, shut down their ethics to realize how this uh, atrocity they were committing uh, against human rights, and to realize that in America today, the statistics that you mentioned, but just we all see there are people suffering and dying. COVID, you know, we're over 400,000 dead Americans now, and part of the delay on dealing with that was that they didn't want to pay the economic cost. Mm-hmm. They were looking at it through the economy and not through their human minds and hearts. And just to realize the environment, like, you know, we're letting we're letting the planet be poisoned. We're making our, our possibilities of, of survival less and less because we're looking at this ecological catastrophe through an economic system. Right. But it's kind of a That's madness that he realized mm-hmm. that, you know, he's trying to talk to people, he's trying to get them to care, but they're entranced. And that probably spoke to why there was such pushback from his Beyond Vietnam speech and the speeches around that period of time where he was turning to exactly what you're indicating, that it was more yeah. more than a racism type of issue. In, in April of 1967, at the Riverside Church, he delivered the speech that offered this, this diagnosis of the illnesses that were afflicting our nation and its character, the uh, soul of America just needed to change, he pleaded, you know, and that soul really emanated from a system that you're talking about that really projected, he said, the triplets of what? The giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism. And he's best known for his endless fight against racism, but this ideological evolution that you point to, I think, is huge because that the Poor People's March and, and at its zenith before his assassination is really where he was turning his interests. And he used the Vietnam example in that particular speech that I think made it very clear for those that really critically look at it and should continue to look at it, that it's the economic system itself that must change so that it no longer promoted things and profits over people's. So he actually used that language, right? Here's a quote that says it's it's about history, namely the marginalizing of the of the majority population. But that the, the United States, he said, must summon we must summon the nation to quote undergo a radical revolution of values that would transform the United States from a thing oriented society to a person oriented society. And so, I think that's perfectly congruent with with your analysis. He saw the United States as having started with a revolution, and that the, the revolution he saw happening around the world, for example, in, in Vietnam, where people were trying to get free of the French colonizers, uh, he was saying that, that we're on the wrong side of the world revolution, mm-hmm. and that our real heart and spirit, the, the revolutionary spirit that gave the country birth, was what we need to return to and recognize that same life, liberty, pursuit, happiness belonged to everyone. Well, and also in the same vein, this notion that has been continually hijacked or appropriated from Dr. King, like so many other things, in order to keep that revolution from happening. But this concept of to save the soul of America, that was the chosen motto of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference when it formed back in 1957. And that soul of America, I think, is reflected by 
welfare of the people that live in the United States, right? So that's really where your soul is revealed. And this system that he talks about, when you study it, even during the most recent recession, who got stung the worst during that period of time? And immediately, the most wealthy lost quite a bit, but they got all their money back and much, much, much more within like a five-year period versus the majority population in the middle class that ended up losing and never regaining. And, and of course, people of color were even impacted worse than most. So it's almost the most vulnerable get chewed up and spit out with this system. And that talks to that character of a nation, doesn't it? Yeah. And he, when he talked about spirit more and more as he lived, he recognized that in the Buddhist revolution that was taking place. He didn't just have to be Christian. Mm-hmm. He recognized it in Judas, in humanists, and in all kinds of people. He said, you mentioned the the revolution of values. He used that as a theme throughout that talk, and he said, it means in the final analysis that our loyalties must become ecumenical rather than sectional, that every nation must now develop an overriding loyalty to humankind as a whole in order to preserve what's best in their individual societies. Mm-hmm. So that beloved community thing at that point was global. Yeah, you're exactly right. In fact, he mentions the actual quote that related to that, the brotherhood of man. You know, this is a calling that takes me beyond national allegiances to humankind allegiances of right over wrong, I think is what he was certainly um, alluding to. Let me ask you this, because there are a number of references in President Biden's inaugural speech that he presented, what, on the 20th, that right? That's just a few days ago. But the idea of this arrogance, to me, is reflected in, in the words that are often spoken, absent the actions and the deeds that would really genuinely reflect what really democracy is about. Democracy, in a nutshell, should be what's best for the most amount of people without harming anyone else grievously. In his speech, these are Joe Biden's words. She says, this is a time of testing. We face an attack on democracy and on truth, a raging virus, growing inequity, the sting of systemic racism, a climate in crisis. And so he acknowledges in words what are really important issues, but the idea that this attack on democracy and on truth has something that's indigenous to the Trump administration and not the administrations before it is really misleading because if we were really honest over these last several administrations, this trending of that we've been talking about of the increasingly desperate position of the American middle class, not to mention the rest of the world, would have been a front and center issue, but it has not been. Mm-hmm. What are your feelings about that, about just the language? And it's a kind of a, a tough question to address, but just that politics of the appropriation of, of, of language and trying to make everyone feel good about a new beginning and all that, when at the end of the day, if you look at history, we should suspect, based on the record of Obama and Biden, that this wealth inequality thing is not going to budge too much. Well, I, I haven't heard, I haven't listened yet to the to the speech, and you know, I want to enter into the Biden years with an open mind. At the same time, I think that there are a lot of assumptions that have always been a part of both parties that I think Dr. King would critique. And in, and in the speech, when he talks about Western arrogance, that this idea that Vietnam was not ready for independence yet, that the peasants needed to trust France and the United States to tell them how to live, I think that historically has been a part of the Clinton-Obama-Biden policies. So I, I think, you know, I, I'm going to have an open mind hoping that he's he's learned something over the years. At the same time, 
this whole idea that one hero is going to turn us around is killing democracy, that we have to decide what's right and pressure our leaders to do it because you know that corporations are going to pressure them. And a lot of our economic policies come from, like, corporate profit. And we've just been given reasons for why we undermine Libya and Honduras and why we hate Venezuela and stuff. We, we hear these kind of sound bites, and most people don't know how to even explore, investigate that. So I think Dr. King would call all of us to question our, our humility when it comes to the rest of the world, because invading other countries, you know, doing covert activities against other countries, those are war crimes. And everybody since World War II has done it. You know, we've just, we've gotten immune to the crimes that we commit. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, if we are going to have a revolution in values to get back to something that's meaningful, I think this is a chance for all of us to kind of repent from the foreign policy that's, you know, to stop bombing Yemen now. Mm -hmm. You know, just to start calling Saudi Arabia to account. Just because they have oil doesn't mean that they can behead people and, you know, if, if, we, if we supposedly went into Afghanistan in part to free women, which was, of course, a load, um, you know, that was obviously BS. Uh, at the same time, that, that's, that standard would call us to confront Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think we, we, if you put economics into it, then you understand American foreign policy. And it's time for that to stop. We, we've got to start dismantling the American empire. And that ties back into what one of the triplets, right? The militarism, I guess, part of that, which yeah. is which is connected, as you just said, to extreme materialism, which is the economic part of it. Yeah. And, well, listen, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. I want to remind folks that we are visiting with Reverend Jim Rigby here in Austin, uh, Texas, and we are speaking and trying to connect some of the lessons that Dr. King left us in his legacy that are in his words and speeches and in his activism before he was assassinated. With the current administration, Joe Biden and his inaugural address. So we'll be back right after this. This is 91.7 KOOP. This is the community radio station of the nation. And we'll be back after this. 